University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35. Your bulletins are going to say chapter 25, but chapter 9, verse 35. For the last several weeks, we have focused on the peculiarities of UBC. We've desired to think critically, to live creatively, and to love continually. This makes us uncommon and distinct. This week, I want us to take a closer look at what it means to love continually. The word love is is a curious thing. The proclaimers tell us that love would cause someone to walk 500 miles and then walk 500 more. Andy Williams reminds us that love is a many-splendored thing. Joe Cocker taught us that love lifts us up where we belong. And no, I'm not even... I was about to sing it, but I didn't. I resisted. The Beatles were convinced that all you need is love. Elvis tells us that love is tender and sweet, but then again, Elvis loved peanut butter, banana, and bacon sandwiches, so maybe he's actually singing that song about his sandwich that he ate so often. We might all define love in a variety of ways, but at the end of the day, love is experiential. It's something that is felt and shared, something that we experience. It depends on the source, a poet, a filmmaker, an author, a musician, an artist, a theologian, a philosopher, a teenage girl with a broken heart, Love might be defined in any different kinds of ways. The Bible speaks about love. In fact, the Bible defines God as love. One of the few and only times we see a definition of who God is, is love. Stop and consider how the love of God has bolstered your existence. Stop and think about how the love of God has caused you to rethink the way that you live your life, the way that you view Other people. God's love is no more evident than the life and the words and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so, in our text, in Matthew 9 35, Jesus sets a brilliant framework for this. It says, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogue and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Oftentimes a word from one language to another language, the translation just isn't really justified. Take, for example, the word compassion that's used here in verse 36. When you hear the word compassion, we often think of a pity for those who are suffering, such as poverty. The word that Matthew used in the text is much more profound. It's actually my favorite Greek word. It's the word compassion, which is splognon. Here's the best way to translate splognon. He was moved from his inmost bowels. I know that sounds delicious, doesn't it? Besides the fact that the literal translation sounds severely disgusting, what Matthew is trying to convey is that Jesus didn't just view the crowd with this feeling of, oh, those poor, poor people. Well, let's move on to more important things. What Matthew is trying to convey is that Jesus had a love, a compassion that came from the very depth of his existence. And the Gospel of Luke 
there's no more provocative nature of Jesus' compassion than in its full display again and again. And one specific text comes to mind, my favorite text in all of Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 12, it reads this way. While Jesus was in some of the towns, a man came along the way who was covered in leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus is going about his business of going to the ins and outs towns of his day. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's healing every type of sickness. And then he comes across a man with leprosy. Leprosy uh, is a disease that produces scales and inflammation and lesions. It was a horrendously debilitating and painful skin condition. And a person would not want to bathe because they had open sores on their body. Over time to time, it would cause serious nerve damage. And since a person can live with this condition for years upon years, it would leave a person missing appendages and limbs. Eventually, one's face would begin to be disfigured. It would begin to fall out. One's eyes would begin to spoil. A leper was a sore sight to the eyes. And according to the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 13, a person must go and be examined by the priest, and if they are found to be leprous, they must be pushed aside and quarantined from society and declared unclean. This was such a horrendous condition that it was so highly contagious, so a leper was forced to leave their home, their job. They were not able to go to the common places of other people in society. So literally, if a, quote, normal person came across a person with leprosy, the leper would have to cover their face and scream, unclean, unclean. So imagine battling the physical conditions, the societal conditions, but then also the familial condition, being moved out of the way of your family because you don't want them to be contagious. You don't want them to contract this horrible disease. So the message to a leper is that you are an outcast physically, relationally, spiritually, socially, and emotionally. And it just so happens that this broken man encounters Jesus of Nazareth. And apparently Jesus' reputation precedes him because this man believes that Jesus can change his life in an instant. The priest was limited on what the priest could do, but this man believes that Jesus can heal him. This is a moment of humility. This man is helpless and he's broken, so he begs Jesus to have mercy. That's a humiliating place to be, to have to beg someone to do something for you. You can picture him in his tattered clothes, catching glimpses of his decaying flesh. The smell would have been overwhelming, his face down to the ground, and he pleased not for money, not for some sort of religious experience. He pleased Jesus to make him clean. This man needs Jesus. By uh, hooting and hollering, who has seen The Greatest Showman, the movie? Ooh, okay, all right, yeah. The, our teenagers are like, yeah. They just all got excited because they're like, I know this one. We don't know those movies from the 80s that you're talking about so long ago. I'm going to give you a warning. If you watch it, every single song will get stuck in your head for days. And it's absolutely adorable to have your children singing and dancing to the song Wait, this isn't the church from Footloose where you're not allowed to do dancing, is it? No? Okay. The Greatest Showman tells the story of P.T. Barnum who created Barnum and Bailey's Circus. Small side note, there's a lot of historical inaccuracies in the movie, um, but it tells the story of a man who found society's greatest outcasts, 
a bearded woman, conjoined twins, people suffering uh, from various conditions, and he gave them a greater purpose. Now, by society standards, these folks were freaks. In fact, for years, Barnum battled with protesters and rioters outside of his museum, the so-called unnatural mutants they jeered and feared. Yet Barnum took societal norm of ostracizing these people, and he gave them a sense of self-worth and value. The irony is that these supposed freaks inside Barnum's three-ring circus, it was that the fact that these onlookers who judged and feared them were no different. They might not have had conjoined twins stuck to their body, but their judgment and their hatred were poisoning them from the inside out. You see, as a society, we can look at this leper and we can say, this man needed Jesus. But how easy is it for us to forget that all people need Jesus? There are so many things about our world that cry out for a need for Jesus. War and hunger, poverty, political corruption, hunger for power. But then as we dig deeper and deeper, we discover racism and sexism, misogyny, economic injustice, xenophobia, bigotry, religious corruption, environmental devastation, lying and cheating. We discover economic, cultural, societal, political, and spiritual brokenness and hurting in our world. People need Jesus. Do we realize that we need Jesus? I need Jesus. You need Jesus. It's easy for us to see the flaws and brokenness of another person, of a particular group of people, but do we see our need for Jesus? Can you just imagine yourself in this man's shoes? dealing with the brokenness of your life, maybe it's not outward and obvious, but maybe it's inward and dark and corrupt. Are you willing to let Jesus make you clean? Verse 13 says this, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I think it's pretty well established that this man was a sore sight for eyes. He smelled absolutely atrocious. Luke tells us that man was full of leprosy, not just some spots here and there. This man was full of leprosy. But Jesus doesn't treat this man as society, as the religion of his day would call him to treat him. Jesus instead does something significant. Did you catch it? Instead of Jesus just speaking healing words into this man's life, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, making him clean. Jesus could have called the sickness out of him as he commanded out diseases and demon-possessed people, but instead Jesus chose to touch the man. Jesus jumped all over society's greatest fears by touching this man. And in fact, in this moment, Jesus just became a criminal. Societal laws demanded that you do not come in contact or touch a leprous person. The religion of Jesus' day said that you do not come in contact and touch such people. So by reaching out and touching this man, Jesus just became a criminal. But this teaches us something radical about the love of God. The love of God cannot be constrained by some sort of politics or religion or society or economy or our perspectives of other people. God's love jumps over those barriers to reach out and to touch all people. 
Jesus is not even concerned with the religious banter this man is throwing out, but Jesus simply loves this man. And that's the first thing, and if that is the only thing I want us to gather from our text this morning is this, God's compassion is not limited. Society, religion, politics, and family, we can sometimes be conditional people of compassion. But in this text we learn that Christ has no limitation. Sounds eerily similar to society of our day when we stop and think of us. You are not like us. There is something about you we don't understand. You are a threat to us unless you conform to the way that we want you to be. Then you can let the door hit you on the way out. But praise God that God is not like us. Thank God that God doesn't play religious and societal games. Praise God that he is full of radical compassion and mercy and grace without limitations. The compassion of God is active and desires to welcome all people. With God, there is no race. There is no nationality. There is no faith practice, sin, marital status, social faux pas, tally of mistakes, economic status, gender identity, sexual orientation, physical or mental ability, political stance, theological perspective, or stations in life. You are simply a child of God. Do you believe that? Whether you are a leper like this man or so-called loose woman of the town or filled with demons or suffering from blindness, a beggar on the street, a highbrow person of society, a lowly fisherman, a religious nutcase, a Roman occupier, an enemy of Israel, a revolting Gentile, you had a place in the presence of Christ. And Jesus was right there. Right there in the thickness of this man's brokenness. He's right there in the carnal level of this man's stench, invisible filth. And for Jesus, there was no place or person that was out of bounds for God's compassion. Jesus was badgered and berated by the so-called religious experts for persistently hanging out with the so-called sinners. You don't get the nickname lover of sinners by not hanging out with so-called sinners. Jesus is not introducing something new about God. God has been in the business of not creating limitations for God's hospitality for as long as the world has existed. And with this indescribable love of Christ, Jesus stepped over all social and religious and man-made boundaries to display God's radiant and immovable compassion. At one of my previous ministry settings, we took an international trip to Ecuador um, about seven or eight times And it's a beautiful partnership that saw hundreds of people venture out of their comfort zone and into the real-life poverty of the Andes Mountains. I witnessed some of the most beautiful relationships spark between wealthy Americans and impoverished Ecuadorians. I saw prim and proper women holding children whose faces were covered with volcanic ash. Their skin was dry as can be. I witnessed men who are used to being able to give orders at their work, flip a switch, and receive the leadership of uneducated Ecuadorians that taught them how to properly install a water filtration system. I saw people immerse themselves into a group without a hint of resistance. But occasionally, for some, when that seven-day trip was over, and when we came back home, you saw a difference. I heard them talk about how, quote, Latino people weren't welcome in our church. I witnessed some of them support local policies that would 
We reject such people from our church and from their homes and from our country. I heard them look down upon other people because they didn't, quote, fit into their social standards. You see, there was a disconnect from their missiology abroad and at home. Compassion expressed itself only through the confines of being in and out of the United States. As followers of Jesus, while our compassion can never reach the capacity of an all-powerful creator, we are called to reflect the way of Jesus. Our love is not supplied from our own compulsion, but rather it's from the result of God pouring into our lives. This means our love has no limitation. And as it was with Jesus, too often our compassion has a limitation on race and nationality, on faith practice, on sin, on marital status, on social faux pas, on tally of mistakes, on economic status, on gender identity, sexual orientation, physical or mental ability, political stance, theological perspective, and stations in life. But can we honestly say that our reflection of compassion is that of Christ? Are we honest enough to see that we might have limitations? That there might be a particular group of people that we are not willing to love? And if we're all honest with ourselves, then we might also consider what it would take to transform this conditional compassion in our life. Disney is on a current bent of reproducing classic cartoons um, into full-length movies, um, they've done Sleeping Beauty and Jungle Book and Cinderella and Alice in Wonderland and Beauty and the Beast. And in the coming years, we're going to see uh, 101 Dalmatians and Mulan and Aladdin and Dumbo and so on and so on. Disney's just going to keep churning out money. I think they print their own money. However, in the midst of these cartoon remakes, um, a uh, couple years they released a, a movie called Pete's Dragon. You probably remember this movie from the late 60s, early 70s. This is one of my favorite movies as a kid. And so we sat down recently and watched the original with the girls. Y'all, I forgot how boring and long that movie is. It is terrible. The songs are terrible. It's not made for kids. It's absolutely awful. But the remake is fantastic. Um, it tells the story of Pete, a little boy who gets stranded in the vast northern wilderness after his parents die in a car accident. And Elliot, the dragon, finds Pete and raises him. And many years later, the boy is discovered by a forest ranger and trying to help the boy, his story just doesn't add up. How could such a young boy survive in the wilderness only by himself for six years? And Pete tells them he wasn't alone. He had Elliot. The only thing is that when he's describing who Elliot is, it sounds like he's either crazy or there is a green dragon that lives in the forest. So Pete takes them to Elliot. It only is in seeing him that they finally believe his story. You see, the ministry we encounter with Jesus is a reckoning between our faith journey with Jesus and our belief in Jesus. There is a distinct difference. When we begin to tear back the layers of our theology, it is either settled onto a foundation of a belief system in Jesus or a living faith within Jesus that calls us to follow in his way of compassion. But alas, Jesus is tapping all over our middle-class American Christianity. It is a fear that we might actually have to love and touch others. For as long back as I can remember as a minister, I've heard about every excuse in the book of why we can't 
love these people, serve these people, meet these people where they are. I've heard the card of, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough resources, it might be dangerous, they don't want our help, I'm not called to do this. See, the American evangelical church has worked so hard to convince us that the personal salvation by asking Jesus into our heart is all that God desires. We fall in hook, line, and sinker into the cliche saying that we ignore the blatant invitation of Jesus to follow in his footsteps, yes, into eternal life, but also into radical grace and compassion and love and the hard work of transforming this world. And we allow ourselves to be shocked and appalled by the injustices we see in our world and in the culture around us. We, we see these tragedy after tragedy. We might work up enough wherewithal to donate clothes or to give some money at Christmas time. But at the end of the day, helping others and truly loving our neighbors is just a compartmentalized thing for so many. We want only to serve others when it's by our control in our comfort, in our budget, in our willingness. It's simple. For many, we avoid loving others like they're leprous. We aren't comfortable with those that don't look like us, think like us. We chalk it up to politics. That's a political thing. That needs to be controlled by the government. That political group needs to do that. When we read the ministry of Jesus, it is essential to meet the needs around us to reach out and to touch the modern-day leprous, whether that be an individual or a group of people or a broken system here and there. Everyday opportunities to love others as Jesus loved others can all too often unveil our discrimination, our favoritism, and maybe even our racism we're not willing to own up to. We can forget the what-ifs. What if they're lying? What if they'll use the money for drugs? What if we are in danger? What if we get sick? When we see the invitation of Christ, it's not an invitation to what if. It's an invitation to go, to be Christ. I want you to brace yourself for just this moment. I have some bad news. It's official. All Toys R Us stores are closed. I know. You had gift cards that you thought you were going to spend, didn't you? Toys R Us has officially closed all their stores. The retailer joins places like the Children's Place and Office Depot and Barnes & Noble and Sports Authority, so many that are closing hundreds of stores each year. When I heard the news, it brought me back to other stores in the past that were part of my life. Do you remember service merchandise? Anybody remember old service merchandise? Yeah. What about KB Toys? Of course, we're not far removed from Circuit City and Borders Books. Remember Sam Goody, the movie, and... Music Place, of course, Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. The sad thing is about these stores and their closing, while it impacted the employees, it didn't directly impact our lives. Why? Well, because it was replaced uh, by nuanced versions of itself. Service merchandise and KB toys were replaced with bigger and better options like Best Buy and Target and Toys R Us. The music stores were replaced with iTunes and eventually Pandora and Amazon Prime. Blockbuster video was replaced with Redbox and Netflix and live streaming. Amazon pretty much is replacing like every possible store you can imagine. It's a question that every church should consider. If we were to close today, would it matter to this community? Stop and think about that for just a second. 
If we were gone tomorrow, would it matter? It's a great litmus test of whether or not we are truly loving the community around us and the way that Jesus calls us to. If UBC was gone tomorrow, would it matter? Would it make a difference? Would it make a difference in your life? Would it make a difference in my life? Would it make a difference in Baton Rouge? And if we can answer no to any of these questions, then it's time that we can reconsider why we do what we do and how and what we do. The great Henry Nowen wrote, Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion into the human condition. When we look at compassion this way, it becomes clear that something more is involved than just general kindness and tender-heartedness. We have the power of God's strength and love abiding in us and through us. But will we love? Will we have the faith to love our neighbor in really gritty and authentic ways? Will we have a compassion that comes from our bowels? Or maybe a less gross way of asking it. Will we have a compassion that comes from the very core of our existence as individuals and as a faith community? Love continually.